Hey guys, Brandon here, and I had the honor and privilege of guesting on the Jedi Temple Archives. Our good friend Rob invited me over there to talk about some Ahsoka Tano, so we're going to give you that conversation now. Of course, you can always uh, look in the show notes and find everything you need for Jedi Temple Archives, or just go over to our Facebook group. Come hang out with us there. Uh, Rob's posting in there all of the episodes, so definitely make sure you check it out if you are a fan of Star Wars and you like just to learn more about it. Jedi Temple Archives is where you need to be, so I'm excited to bring this conversation to you in three Two, one, punch it. Welcome to episode 18 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? fans and welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm Rob, your host, and we are recording this episode on Monday, July 15th, 2019. So for uh, this particular episode, we are going to go ahead and continue on with the previous conversation that we had about Ahsoka Tano and kind of why she speaks to us and what her adventures were after the Clone Wars era. So if you have not heard our first episode uh, regarding Ahsoka, you can go back. That should be episode five of the podcast. And that really kind of covers all the spoiler-free information, uh, just the basic information about Ahsoka herself. But then we kind of get more into the spoiler part of it, some of her adventures during the Clone Wars, uh, really leading up to the end of that period. So if you are not interested in, in having anything with Ahsoka's story, spoiled for you. This episode probably won't be ideal for you, but uh, I would certainly recommend going off and watching The Clone Wars, reading the book Ahsoka, and also watching Star Wars Rebels because she plays a part in that as well. And uh, then come back and you can listen to this and kind of get, you know, that extra level of detail that hopefully we're going to provide today. So to help me out with this conversation, I have got my trusty co-pilot, Tom Howell, from the Hyperion Adventures podcast on with me. Tom, welcome back to the show. Always good to be on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast with you, Rob. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. And we also have a special guest this week, and that is Brandon Boylan uh, from the Clashing Sabers podcast. And you can find them at ClashingSabers.net. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, man, I am super excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, we figured uh, if we were going to be talking Ahsoka, it, we'd be remiss if we left you out of the loop on this one. <laughs> much appreciated. Right on. So, um, you know, the previous episode that we did really kind of went right up to that point where Ahsoka left the Jedi Order. Uh, I would say that uh, it's probably pretty likely that for all three of us, that was a pretty gutting moment. And for many of the listeners out there, um, it was certainly a very emotional moment in her story arc, but also we talked a little bit about kind of how the impact of that particular departure from the Jedi Order uh, impacted Anakin uh, as she was really one of the three pillars of his life with his mother, uh, Ahsoka, and Padme. So 
Uh, Brandon, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to kind of add in on that. Um, the only thing really that I want to add is is just something I've been observing kind of across Star Wars in particular, but fiction in general, which is this three strike system that I think Ahsoka is a part of. And you have basically, you know, three strikes and you're out. So if you look at uh, Anakin Vader, you can look at it in two aspects. You have Qui-Gon. Losing Qui-Gon, losing his mother, and then losing Padme, and that's what creates Darth Vader. But even if you look at it just from the women in his life that he loses, he loses Shmi, he loses Ahsoka, and he loses um, Padme. And the difference with Ahsoka and why she's so, so important is she doesn't die. And so he's able to in a way, have a chance to reconcile with her, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to Twilight of the Apprentice. But for me, and this is my tinfoil hat theory, but but I think it works. Ahsoka is kind of like the torch for Anakin um, that, that keeps the she, she's the Motel 6. She keeps the light on for him kind of right. thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think she's super important in that way. Yeah, and clearly her walking away from the Order, I mean, you can see it within that scene, him pleading for her to stay and to kind of want to understand why she has chosen to leave the Order, um, you know, pleading with her, telling her, you know, I, I never gave up on you. I was willing to fight for you. But interestingly enough, you know, Ahsoka, for as immature, I guess, as she was when she was first introduced in the Clone Wars, uh, she was really the one of all of them to reach that uh, that true Jedi wisdom and and that maturity that comes with understanding that at some point, you know, you kind of have to, to listen to what your heart's telling you and kind of go figure out things on your own. So that really is what launched her into uh, the remainder of her story arc, which first, um, I probably should mention that we now know that Clone Wars obviously is saved. Uh, we're going to be getting a season six or season seven, depending on whether you count the official Clone Wars season six as part of uh, the Clone Wars seasons. But uh, that is going to really pick up with uh, a story arc that is going to bring Ahsoka back into play. And it's going to address the Siege of Mandalore, which is really uh, a huge event within kind of the end of the Clone Wars era. And that has not been addressed yet. So we know it's coming. We've seen some uh, some previews of that. Um, it was previewed a little bit down at Star Wars Celebration this year. And I expect that uh, we're going to be seeing more about that as the, as the year goes on. But knowing that, really the next thing that is currently out there for people to uh, sit down and kind of soak up regarding Ahsoka is the book titled Ahsoka. And that deals with her really right from the moment uh, that she and Commander Rex kind of fake their death and, and go off on their own as exiles, all the way up to uh, kind of her involvement in the in the burgeoning rebellion uh, against the Empire. So uh, I know Tom and I have both read that. Brandon, I assume you've read that as well? Uh, three or four times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, uh, you know, Tom and I had been talking a lot about Ahsoka kind of as we were uh, getting ready to head down the path of doing this particular podcast. And we both uh, definitely had a connection to that character. And uh, once I had read that, I was like, you have got to read this. So it's not the world's longest story, but it definitely does fill in a lot about her character arc. 
And before we really get into talking about that in detail, do either of you have any thoughts about what you read and and things that stood out for you about Ahsoka within that? I I found it it was interesting that she kind of had to almost refine herself uh, going through these phases of uh, through these different planets, these different characters she would meet on these different worlds that she was in. And she really had to refocus, find herself and, and part of that. And I may be giving spoilers away for the book was figuring out how to put these the pieces of her lightsabers back together you know she had these pieces that she would carry throughout the book it was almost like the pieces of her life and you know when you get near the end that's when she starts to put the pieces back together yeah i totally agree and i'm not going to worry so much about spoilers you know we've given uh kind of the listeners a a heads up that if they want to avoid spoilers this episode really should be saved for later when they've reviewed this so i think we can just go ahead and talk freely about both the book uh the star wars rebel stuff and anything we want to tie back into the clone Wars era would be fine as well. Well, I think I think Tom, you're definitely onto something there with her putting her life uh, back together. Because the the thing about Ahsoka that's so important about her walking away from the Order and the reason that that connects, I think, with myself and with so many people is because it's really saying like to thine own self, be true. Because Anakin is saying like I was there for you, I stood up for you, I fought for you. Don't worry about everybody else. I want you to to do this and. Even despite her loyalty to him, she does what's right for for herself and turns out to be right for the galaxy. But there's a huge jump when you go from where we end her in season five of Clone Wars and where we get her at the beginning of Star Wars Rebels. And it's almost like what happened there. And this story really shows how messy trying to figure out who you are outside of the structures of your family and society and all these things, identifying who you really are and what it is that really matters to you, um, what you're willing to fight for. And that I just think that's really, really powerful to know that even a character like Ahsoka, who is quote unquote strong female character, you know, kind of thing, still has to go through the struggle, still has to go through the pain of actually like figuring out who she is. Yeah. And interestingly enough, that's kind of, it's kind of a double-edged sword because she has to go through that process at a time where she can't even be herself, um, which in some ways would have held her back. But I think in other ways it freed her up because she, at that point, you know, the person that she was, was completely identified by her involvement with the Jedi and the fact that she was hiding from that for all intents and purposes, uh, which kind of let her explore, you know, really what was at her core and, and why she felt like she had to listen to these, you know, this voice inside her that was telling her what she should or shouldn't do and was sometimes in conflict with the Jedi Order. And it's it's very similar to, to Kanan, right? Like Kanan's hiding himself. They're going two separate directions, but they end up in the same place, right? Kanan is a drunk. He's hopping planets just to go from one job to the next to not get caught and, you know, because he's probably pissed somebody off. And Ahsoka, you know, is, is moving because... She wants to continue to help people, and she's trying to figure out how to do that. And they're they're going on such different paths, but they literally end up in the same place. Uh, is is really interesting because then for audience members, you know, you have these different stories that you can connect with, and so if your story diverts from Ahsoka's for a little bit, you have this other character over here. Um, I don't know really where I was going with that, but it popped in my head and it was interesting. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, the the really cool thing about Ahsoka's arc, and and to what Brandon just said, it's uh, it, it is very true. I mean, you have these Jedi that are uh, exiled; they're on the run. They can't let their Force abilities be noticed by anyone around them, or the Empire's going to be on to them. In the case of Kane and Jarrus, uh, the thing that kind of connects him back is meeting up with the crew of the Ghost, and especially with Harrison Dula. And we've mentioned that a little bit in previous podcasts, and with Ahsoka. Um, through the the arc of the book, uh, she kind of finds her own way to connect back. And I guess this is a really good launching point to kind of get into some of the details about what really went on within that book. So um, it starts out uh, with Ahsoka basically being established on uh, the planet of Thabesca. And she has uh, fallen in with a group of people, a family uh, known as the Fardy. And She basically has taken on a role as a cargo pilot. Um, They are both smugglers and uh, running legitimate businesses as well to kind of mask that. And the period of time that she is with them is, I believe it's about a year in total. It's from the time where she initially goes on the run all the way up to Empire Day, which is uh, the Galactic Empire celebrating its founding. And about a month prior to that particular event, uh, the Farty children are kind of messing around uh, by some cargo crates and the crates topple and are going to fall on the children and Ahsoka uses the force to uh, divert them. Um, So she's a little bit concerned about whether she has engaged too much if what she did is going to be noticed. Uh, Certainly the children would have noticed that it was a little bit uh, unusual what had happened but they were really more concerned about kind of saving their own hide and their parents not finding out that they had been playing around by those cargo crates. Um, And then it rolls into a couple months later as Empire Day is coming around. um, The clan leader for the Farty is letting them know that he's going to have some uh, important Imperial visitors coming. And they want to be introduced to anyone who has shown up on the planet within the past year. And uh, that kind of is the the sign to Ahsoka that she needs to move along. So um, it's also of interest that there is one of the children within this family who is evidencing some forced sensitivity. And Ahsoka is also concerned, you know, on one hand, she feels like she needs to leave. But on the other hand, uh, she does have concerns about leaving this child behind, given the fact that the Empire is definitely on the hunt for any force sensitives out there. Um, and that's kind of really what launches her arc within this particular story. Uh, there are some flashbacks to the moments when she evaded Order 66, uh, and along with Captain Rex, had kind of uh, faked their deaths. She had left her lightsabers behind on his grave, uh, and it was generally believed by the Empire that she was one of the people that had perished uh, as part of Order 66. But, uh, you know, clearly, even if you were presumed dead, uh, there were forces at play that were out there searching for Jedi or any force sensitives and kind of tracking them down. Um, And any particular parts about that story arc that either of you want to weigh in on? I think it's uh, really important that she starts out the book not recognizing any of their names i was listening to the beginning portion of it this morning and she doesn't remember any of the kids names which is is kind of a symbol of how overwhelmed she is by this new world um and then as we progress through through the book she remembers you know who these farty kids are which by the way that is the worst last name ever Um, for sure I feel so bad for those kids. Um, But just the way that she is able to, it's really great the way she's able to kind of 
get down on their level and not in a, a disrespectful way, but it kind of links back to that uh, that arc in the Clone Wars with the the younglings um, and and the kidnapping with Hondo and everything. So just in general, I think the the connection between her and the Fardies actually tells us a lot more than uh, than it gets credit for. But just in general, with the Empire continuing to hunt, it honestly it makes the Empire a lot scarier because they're going to these planets that don't even really matter, quote unquote, uh, to to search for Jedi. Uh, and, and this would have been when the Inquisitors were starting, and and I'm sure we'll get into that. But it really makes it, it raises the stakes a lot just across the galaxy and for Ahsoka in particular, because literally one little slip up could cause her her end. And when you jump forward a little bit and you see her on uh, Bail Organa's ship and he catches just the end of her uh, her head tails like that's a mistake that she couldn't afford to make and thank god it was bail organa and not grand moff tarkin you know um it it really makes it a lot scarier and it it shows the strength of characters like ahsoka to be able to survive and to some extent to thrive to help form the rebellion in that kind of environment well and she also she has to be of two minds almost throughout the whole thing and yes she needs to protect herself she needs to stay hidden but always in the back of her mind is her conscience telling her no she needs to help these farmers she needs to help these children that she left behind from this family the Farty family it's always there she knows that she needs to protect herself for the good of herself and for the good of you know force wielders everywhere but at the same time she puts herself constantly at risk whether her hand was forced or whether she just uh, uh, you know, chooses to do it on her own. When it's it's the skills that she learned when she was younger that she's having to apply now, but she's having to find the new way to apply them, right? Which is something we all go through where we want to be different from what our parents were, you know, and we want to blaze this whole new trail, which in a way she is. And she decided to do walking away from the order. And she mentions a few times, I need to figure out how to use these skills I got when I was a Jedi but in a, a non-Jedi way. And I think that her later saying, I am no Jedi, so emphatically is like the realization of, I found what it means to to take all these parts of my life and combine it into who I am becoming. And I think the, the lessons that she learns from the Farty children um, is, is a reminder that those those childhood experiences that she had were not a bad thing, even though she walked away from them. Yeah, and the really interesting thing about this entire book is that the Ahsoka that we know in the Clone Wars is uh, is really a great fit for Anakin. She is very much snippy, thus the nickname Snips. Uh, but she's also uh, a little bit reckless. She tends to um, be very similar to Anakin in terms of the the willingness to take risks. And, and there's a couple of times in that arc that she pays for it and other people pay for it on her behalf. So um, while she does learn some important lessons there, it's not really until we get into this period of time that all of a sudden she can't afford to be reckless, as you were mentioning. Um, you know, she has to be more cautious. And, and that, in uh, a lot of ways, is part of... Of kind of what rounds her character out into what we end up seeing in Rebels later on. Absolutely. All right. So um, 
Basically, after leaving uh, Thabasca and the and the Farty family, she steals the ship from them um, and heads off and ends up on a a moon called Rada uh, in the outer rim. Uh, assuming that at this point, you know, she's going to be far enough out there where the Empire's reach is not going to extend, um, and she establishes a place there, uh, meets a handful of locals, including a girl named uh, Caden Lart. And she adopts the name of Ashla, which is actually an incredibly important name in Star Wars, primarily because the the roots of Star Wars are founded on the light and the dark side, and the names for those respectively are the Ashla and the Bogan. So she is taking a pseudonym that is really identifying her um, kind of as an agent of the light, even though she's no longer affiliated with the Jedi. And, I mean, if we, we think about just from a creator standpoint and a storytelling uh, side of things outside of the universe, it's just a great reminder that Ahsoka literally has the light inside of her. She is the light because the daughter gave her life force for Ahsoka to live, for Anakin to be able to bring balance to the force. It's just, it's great that there's those little reminders in there and it's, it's, in a way, in Galaxy, it's almost like, uh, I see how the Force works there, you know, um, kind of reminding her of that as well. Yeah, and interestingly enough, I mean, I, I think there are ties for that all the way back into the Mortis trilogy from the Clone Wars, where, you know, Anakin had been brought in conjunction with uh, both Obi-Wan as well as uh, Ahsoka, had been brought um, by the Mortis gods, um, and they were basically telling Anakin that this was where he was going to bring the force into balance. He was going to take on that role of the, the, the primary mortis God and keep balance between his daughter and his son who represented the light and the darkness uh, at that point. And Ahsoka ended up being infected by the dark side, um, died really uh, at that point as part of that trilogy and then was brought back to life. And really after that point, uh, it was very common to see Ahsoka with a convor, which is essentially a Star Wars space owl for lack of a better term, um, that was associated with the daughter, the the light side of that Mortis trilogy. And that convoy was was often seen later on uh, with Ahsoka. So it's interesting that, you know, she had been infected by the dark side. She'd been brought back uh, through a sacrifice of the light, uh, the daughter giving her life to bring her back. Um, and then thereafter, Ahsoka really was kind of an embodiment of the light. Yeah, I want to hold off on saying anything till we get to uh, Twilight of the Apprentice because I've got I got a theory I want to run by you guys. But yeah, her and it's important to remember that Mortis is George explaining the force and you see Anakin there in between literally the light and the dark because, you know, the the brother, the dark side has taken over Ahsoka and he is overcoming the darkness via the light to save someone he cares about. Um, knock, knock, redemption, anybody? Second Death Star, right. Luke Skywalker, ringing bells? <laughs> right. Yeah, that is, de- I mean, it's definitely one of the deepest arcs within the Clone Wars, and it definitely has some far-reaching implications all the way through uh, to Rebels, as you're, as you're mentioning. So, and again, this is stuff that is just rife with potential for all kinds of theories and, and discussions downstream. All right. So um, 
taken the the life that she has now adopted on Rada uh, a little bit further. Uh, as she gets to know the locals on this particular planet, uh, she realizes you know they've got some imperial occupancy on that planet. Um, they are taking over the farming of the planet, uh, and it's kind of exposed through uh, another character within this particular story that the crops that they are planting are highly nutritious, but they also essentially leach all the nutrients out of the soil. So they're using the local populace to to grow these crops that are going to be used to kind of feed the Imperial War Machine. But as a byproduct, they're going to destroy this this moon uh, as a you know an end result of doing that farming. And the locals, you know, can clearly tell that there's something going on. They uh, start planning for uh, some rebellion against their imperial overlords. And Ahsoka is torn once again between wanting to get involved with that and knowing that she really can't afford to draw attention to herself. And ultimately, that ends up, uh, after a series of events, she ends up having to flee the planet once again and head back to Thabasca uh, to re-engage with the Fardy family. And as a byproduct of that also, she wants to check on the younger daughter, who is Force-sensitive, as she has, uh, at this point, heard that um, there are some Imperial agents that are out looking for uh, Force-sensitives, and, and she's concerned for the safety of that young girl. So... You know, I'm leaving out some some plot points. I don't want to spoil the entire thing, but um, again, it's another instance of Ahsoka not being able to put down roots anywhere. She really has to uh, constantly stay on the move, and no matter where she goes, as Brandon mentioned earlier, was that she can't. She almost can't help herself. She she wants to to get involved. She wants to work, um, you know, for the light and for the locals and to try to make their lives better. Right. And on the uprising on the, the planet, actually, she kind of has to expose herself. She, it wasn't her intention. Uh, they were trying to pull off a, a daring attack and somebody kind of jumped the gun on the situation. And so she had to save some of these people, expose herself, show that she is force sensitive, that she was a Jedi and again, put herself in harm. She was trying to stay away from that situation, but the circumstances as they were, she knew that she needed to save these people as well. And she had to strip away the facade that she had created to realize her full self, right? Which is is really what the whole book is about, is her realizing herself. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's a, a critical plot point, is her letting go of that facade. And, and she leans more and more into becoming the new person that would be fulcrum later in the book exactly um and so as she flees back to to uh engage with the farty clan and uh you know return their ship check on the daughter etc she is also struggling with the repercussions of what she had done on rada so you know she goes back she's checking on the younger daughter uh requesting a new job to uh become a, a shuttle pilot or a cargo pilot uh for the farty household and as a byproduct of that, she ends up getting sent on uh, some missions that bring her into engagement with both some members of Black Sun, as well as a couple of agents that were sent out by Bail Organa, as Ahsoka had been, again, going out of her way to help people that she came across along the way. And Bail wanted to find out who was involved with this as he was building the rebellion at that particular point in time. 
Uh, and as a result of that, uh, Soka actually comes in contact with R2-D2, who was along with Bale's agents, and works with R2-D2 to kind of uh, stay updated on where the location of that particular ship is, as well as uh, later on in the book when she is going to actually get aboard the Tantive for the Carillion Corvette that uh, Bale was uh, flying around in. Uh, R2 was the one that would help her get aboard that ship and kind of allowed her to plant herself in Bale's office so that when he walked in, surprise, you've got Ahsoka Tano sitting there waiting for him. R2 just continually just riles up messes in the Star Wars galaxy. (laughs) He could have solved so many problems there. But yeah, I like the way that they uh, brought him in. It's always difficult to do that, to bring in a legacy character like that, especially when you have somebody who's so connected to Ahsoka and Anakin. Um, but again, it's it, it keeps going back to that, her having to realize how her past is going to fit into her future. And this is like a, a little manifestation of that in a micro, you know, a microcosm of that before she meets Bale, which will be what takes her on that new path. Right. And uh, as a byproduct for her actually meeting Bail Organa, not only does that lead to her involvement in the rebellion later uh, by taking control of this intelligence network and and taking on that role of fulcrum that again comes into play within Star Wars Rebels. uh, But that uh, arrangement is also what allows for her to later in the book um, arrange for the salvation of the the miners on the on the moon of Rada. Um, she ends up having to return to Rada uh, because she finds out that the sixth brother, who is one of the Inquisitors, uh, the one that was out hunting for the farty child that was Force-sensitive, and later when he caught wind of the fact that Ahsoka had exposed herself to the Imperials on Rada, um, that he was going to be on that moon, that he had taken her friends uh, hostage and was basically baiting her to come back and attempt to save them. Um, but at the same time, as Tom mentioned, she had rebuilt her lightsaber hilts, uh, but did not have kyber crystals to power them. Uh, she had lost her original kyber crystals when she had left her lightsabers behind. And so she goes on a mission to uh, the planet of Ilum, which ties right back into what uh, Brandon was talking about with the, the story arc within the Clone Wars with the, the Jedi younglings that were going to Ilum to get their lightsaber crystals. Uh, she had gotten her lightsaber crystals on the planet of Ilum, and she assumed that if she went back there and uh, kind of immersed herself in the force, she may be able to find new kyber crystals. Lo and behold, she gets there, and the Imperials are strip mining the planet, um, which uh, puts her in a situation where she kind of has to immerse herself in the force and stretch out and try to figure out where her crystals are. And she ends up finding them uh, singing to her from the planet or the moon of Rada again. So all her paths always uh, keep ending ending up leading her back to the planet or the moon of Rada. Uh, and she returns there and ends up having to face off against the sixth brother, which actually is a great, uh, a great battle uh, for a character that is not armed against a fully armed uh, Inquisitor. Yeah, E.K. Johnston does a fantastic job of describing that scene where you get the full it it's almost like you know bruce lee against this novice you know you could you could have bruce lee fighting this guy who you know just randomly picked up two swords and bruce lee's gonna win every time and it's the same thing here like there's there is tension there because you know it's lightsabers versus not lightsabers but she really does show ahsoka as just the master of 
the situation there. But to go back to to Ilum and then the, the crystals calling to her from Rada, it's I mean, again, it, it just goes back to that how her connection to the force is so strong because I mean we see in the the youngling arcs, like the Jedi have to actually go there. They're not staying at Coruscant and just meditating to find what planet their crystals are on. They're going to Ilum and having to find it in this isolated place because they have so much noise going on around them. And Ahsoka finally comes to peace with the fact that she needs to be helping these people on Rada and basically serving the least of these. And that's what leads her to getting her crystals and I mean, talk about mind-blowing lightsaber lore i mean i'm here for it right and you know the other interesting thing about the confrontation that she has with the sixth brother is that she ends up using a force ability that you really uh i don't believe we've seen anywhere else in star wars um where she is able to just touch his lightsaber hilt and uh they call it invigorating uh, but it basically causes a vibration within his lightsaber that ends up causing it to explode, uh, killing him in the process. And of course, kyber crystals, as we mentioned in one of our earlier uh, podcasts, are incredibly durable um, and those survive. And she's able to cleanse them uh, using the force and turn them uh, brilliant white. So it's it's an ability that I don't recall ever having seen before. Uh, I know it gets uh, used again within uh, the Rebel series in a battle that Ahsoka is taking part in, uh, not necessarily to, to actually cause the lightsaber to self-destruct, but definitely to shut it down. Um, and so you're seeing a new force ability. You're seeing this whole new concept of cleansing uh, these crystals that have been bled by the Sith and uh, really gives Ahsoka the, the white lightsaber blades that post the Clone Wars she is identified by. It also kind of puts her in that place where you, you feel like she is, where she's kind of this gray Jedi almost. The fact that her kyber crystals now aren't, you know, they were on the light side, they were on the dark side. Now they're somewhere kind of in between after the bleeding process. It really speaks to where she's developed as a character, where she's developed as, you know, a Jedi, not a Jedi, wherever she may be within this, this world of the Force. I, I have to disagree with you there, Tom. Um, I I hate the term Grey Jedi for many reasons, and I there's a whole episode about it, so I'm not going to go into that because it's not super important. But I think the important part is that her blades become white. They become a symbol of purity and peace and light. I mean, literal light. I mean, white is the... is is the brightest light that you can have um i think more than anything that's the force identifying her as who the next generation should be looking to um and i just don't want it to be misconstrued that like somehow it's a balance of light and dark and and this middle ground because i think ahsoka the point of ahsoka is that she is light she is not She's been touched by the dark and survived it, not by holding on to parts of it, but by fully releasing it, which, of course, we saw in Mortis. At least that's my interpretation of it. And I'm not trying to say that she's somewhere like balanced right in the middle of light and dark. I just feel that she's touched the darkness. She's seen it. She knows that you can use that within there, whereas opposed to the Jedi Council for so long was like, no, you just have to shun the dark side that she kind of that that positions her that she has a piece of that when she's 
left that order. She's left that and she's found this within herself. Yes, she's definitely much more light, but I do feel that some of the dark has, has kind of played a part in who she is as a, uh, a person, as a Jedi. I think it plays a part, but there's a big difference between like Ahsoka and Bendu, for example. Like a ben, uh, Bendu, we see using the dark side powers, you know, um, in that end of uh, season three of Rebels, when he just like explodes all over the place, basically. Um, and, and Ahsoka doesn't use that. So I, I like what you said that she she recognizes the dark. She has touched it, and it's almost like. Um, I mean, it's it's a lot like Rey in uh, The Last Jedi. It is, you know, she goes into that dark pit in the mirror cave and she's able to come out. And yes, she's learned something new, but it, she's not becoming more aggressive like we see Luke after he comes out of the cave in Dagobah. Um, and and I think Ahsoka is more along the lines of, of a character like Rey that is like you said, recognizing the dark, seeing that it's there, acknowledging that it's there because it can't be done away with. You can't have light without dark or dark without light. But I guess I just disagree with you on the she uses dark side uh, powers in any way. Yeah, I would actually say that, I mean, and, and I've been guilty of this as well, the the concept of gray Jedi in the, in the classic sense, it really is the idea that you can use light side powers, dark side powers, but you just don't. Uh, polarized to either end of it. Whereas I think the concept, well, at least when I think of Greater Jedi now, it's not so much using powers from both sides. It's just uh, Ahsoka being in a situation where she uh, is definitely a light side force wielder, but she is not afraid of her emotions at this point. Um, even at kind of the culmination of the battle that occurs after she uh, defeats the sixth brother, she ends up having some of the civilians get killed by an Imperial tank. And that actually causes her to, to become enraged. But again, she doesn't go to the dark side. Um, she's still uh, fighting with pure intent. Um, but she is clearly not what the not uh, following a path that the Jedi would have approved of, um, and I think that really when you look at the Jedi Order, and that's a whole nother conversation um, about a lot of the ways that they kind of went against some of their own teachings, uh, not the least of which was their attachment to the Republic, and and she is kind of devoid of all those types of attachments. She, uh, you know, she is going about what she believes to be the right thing to do in service of the light. Well, and it goes to what Qui-Gon said in Master and Apprentice, and very, very minor spoiler um, for Master and Apprentice, but he mentions at one point, if the Jedi Code says one thing, but the need in front of our face says another, isn't it obvious which we should follow? And that's exactly what Ahsoka is doing. She she is actually executing on that statement that Qui-Gon made, is she's taking care of the need right in front of her, which goes even, I mean, that goes even back to empire when Yoda tells Luke, like the need right in front of your face goes, right. you know? Um, so yeah, I think, I guess just the, the term gray Jedi is irksome because I, I feel it is misconstrued that somehow these characters are both equal light and equal dark, which right. I don't think fits with the context of the films, but I definitely am with you there that she is creating this, this new path in time. You mentioned it earlier, like taking those pieces and, and putting them back together. And she has, she's carrying those pieces, the majority of the book and has no idea what she's supposed to do with them, which is very much what 
you know, a metaphor for her force powers and her place in the galaxy. And eventually she puts that all together. Completely, yeah. I completely agree. And, um, but I, I want to go back to the gray jet, I think just really quickly here. I don't feel like I was discussing before that it is a 50, 50 balance. I just find it, you know, that it, it's the possibility that you are not afraid to at one time or another, accept your anger, accept your rage, you know, it, it, it not just completely shun it and not use it as part of who you are. And I felt like there was so much structure in that within the Jedi order for so long that they kind of got lost within it. And that's where I feel like she is more like you were discussing there, Brandon, with, with Ray, that they feel like they can use some of these things too, but not necessarily use dark powers, be able to use, but use some of these feelings and emotions and philosophies within their world as a Jedi that they are, you know, today. Yeah. And I think we just need to come up with a new term for it. Yeah. That's the thing. Tom, like when you say it like that, yeah, I'm there with you because again, it's always going to be there. Um, It's always going to be something that you have to deal with and it's being able to literally walk into the darkness and remain the light like Ahsoka does. We'll get to that when we get to Twilight of the Apprentice. Um, But that really defines this new, this new, I guess, order almost that she helps spring on with Kanan and, and Ezra. Yeah. And again, I mean, there's so many things, be it be it the uh, attachment, be it the emotion. I mean, there are positive aspects to all those things. It's just when they get taken too far. Um, and again, with the Jedi Order, I think that the downfall in a lot of ways of, uh, of the Jedi was that because they were forbidden and because they were things that are hard to completely deny uh, totally, that, of course, the, the Jedi who would start walking down those paths felt like they had to hide it. And it was really that hiding it and the deception that um, were the things that kind of eroded them to the point where they either fell or, you know, ended up wandering from, from the teachings of the order. So, uh, but anyway, to get, to get the conversation back on track, really uh, post the confrontation between Ahsoka and the sixth brother um, and Bail Organa's uh, fleet basically coming to uh, get all of the, inhabitants of Rada off world. There is another engagement between Ahsoka and Bale, uh, again, where he is trying to recruit her into his rebellion against the empire. And she just doesn't feel like a fighting a war is really where she wants to be at this point. You know, she'd obviously had her fill of that within the clone wars. And ultimately the resolution that they come to is that she is going to take over Bale's, uh, intelligence network and take on that moniker of Fulcrum, um, which, again as we get into rebels which is the next step in this conversation uh that that role of fulcrum uh gets passed from ahsoka on and uh it it's really kind of a major uh role in the rebellion and in the rebellion eventually overthrowing the empire thoughts um no i'm just kind of taking that all in yeah i mean i there's there's a lot of importance to how the Jedi are portrayed post Revenge of the Sith because they have to be going in the direction that Luke Skywalker eventually takes them in um, at the end of Return of the Jedi and then even years later um, at the Battle of Crate, which is a path of nonviolence. Um, and when you look at the Jedi who are extremely successful it's oh it always comes down to the nonviolence of throwing the weapons away you know your weapons you will not need them and ahsoka is kind of figuring that out here by saying like i don't want to fight a war i've already done that i i want to 
I want to help, but I need to do it in a different way. I can't do it at the, you know, I can't, I can't save the galaxy at the end of a lightsaber, you know, because that's clearly already failed before. And I don't know if she fully recognizes that. Um, but as an outside observer with, with more of the story, you can see that that's really where the path starts to go in that direction. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And Interestingly enough, I mean, as we start to to wander into the Rebels era, era we begin to see that. Although there is still, um, there's still more of a concept of of doing battle against the forces of evil, I guess, within Rebels, uh, as opposed to what you're talking about, which is that path of nonviolence. Um, but in many of those cases, and I don't know how much how much we want to talk about Ahsoka's involvement with the Rebels kind of prior to Twilight of the uh, Apprentice. She certainly um, helps them along their missions. Uh, the crew of the Ghost uh, becomes fairly reliant on her. And obviously, Kanan uh, Jarrus is, is very happy to have her kind of in the fold because he is sitting here trying to bring Ezra along um, as, uh, you know, based on his training. But his training was pretty limited. I mean, he was a Padawan when the Jedi Order fell. Uh, he had basically been on his own for a number of years leading up to his involvement with the crew of the Ghost. So he only had rudimentary skills uh, as opposed to what a, a full Jedi Knight would have had. And Ahsoka kind of represented someone who had more experience um, and had endured like a full cycle of, of Jedi training whereas Kanan's uh, was very limited uh, and he was still a very young Padawan. So that certainly was an important facet of Ahsoka within Rebels. Uh, and then as she begins to uh, uh, sense Darth Vader through the, the crew of the Ghost and their involvement with him, uh, Vader had been sent to track down the crew of the Ghost because uh, the Grand Inquisitor and those that had been sent before had all failed in that particular mission and they were creating a lot of issues for the Empire. Uh, but she begins to think that she knows who is behind that mask and that really all comes full circle in the episode Twilight of the Apprentice. And knowing that there is a lot of information to talk about in relation to that episode, I think we should just go ahead and dive right into that. Yeah, I want to touch on one thing before we jump into it, because I think it's super important to what we see in Twilight of the Apprentice. Overall, with Ahsoka in Rebels, she's really letting Kanan and Ezra find their own way, which is very different from what we saw of the Jedi in the prequels of like, here's the path. This is step one, step two, step three. Like, this is what you do. Whereas she, even if we just throw the term Jedi away, um, you know, cause she's not a Jedi. And so she's not training them, but she is allowing them as she did in the Ahsoka novel to discover their own path. And she is learning from them as much as, as they are learning from her. And I think that's a really empowering, um, direction to be taking the, the Jedi order, um, to the point where, you know, Hopefully that's you know what we're going to get in episode nine because we've seen that failure happening of um, people not learning from others and Ray and Kylo having to learn from each other's in the sequel trilogy and it kind of in a way all starts here with Ahsoka and the Rebels crew. Yeah, for sure, and I think yeah, there is one other event uh, associated with Ahsoka that I do think that we need to touch on, um, and that is uh, again, as we saw within the Clone Wars, um, the Inquisitors were out 
kidnapping force sensitive children and Ahsoka and the crew of the ghost had gone on a mission to rescue them. And as a result of that, uh, you know, Kanan and, and Ezra are trying to escape back to the ghost and uh, the inquisitors catch up with them kind of start to handle them pretty easily. And Ahsoka arrives on the scene, lets Kanan and Jarrus get away. And she takes on these two inquisitors um, all by herself. Uh, although she, at this point she does have her, her dual beautiful white lightsabers um, and she shows right there. And it's really kind of the first major combat we get um, from Ahsoka within Rebels. And you get to see how far she has come, the confidence that she has uh, in her abilities and the mastery of the force that she has. Again, she is able to use just a touch on the handle of one of the Inquisitor's lightsabers to completely deactivate it um, and then blows uh, that Inquisitor back into a a stone pillar so hard that it cracks. it's just really cool to see the older Ahsoka in action, really for the first time since the Clone Wars. Obviously, we saw her in the book, but you know, on the screen to see her abilities have improved and and deepened so much in her connection with the light side of the Force. Well, you have to assume that you know, in this time she's had away when she's trying to escape, when she's in these different situations, that she spends so much time meditating with the Force that, in many ways, she's become much more in touch with it. And I think that exactly is an example of it as you progress on you see how skilled she's because she was always a skilled fighter we've we discussed that in the last episode she was always a skilled uh lightsaber user but uh the 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 progression that she's had within the force the way she's accepted it it's it's pretty impressive when you get to into rebels itself yeah anything from you brandon no no i'm i'm right there with you um (laughs) i I think the only thing i would notice how ridiculously cool it is uh at the end when she has the lightsaber in the inquisitor's face um like darth vader does to luke and says you were beaten um that's this is a good bit of foreshadowing but yeah no she it's never in star wars it's never the victory never comes through the end of the lightsaber you know it always comes through another form and you know the way that she does that is by her connection with the force you know um she has like tom said you know She's been meditating. She hasn't been in lightsaber drills. There's nobody for her to, you know, practice with. So this is all kind of self-taught. And it's this is, again, going back to this new direction um, that they're creating. And I love uh, what Tom pointed out about it. It's that connection to the force that's taking it that way. Yeah, and certainly I, I think that it also bears noting that because she is no longer a Jedi, I mean, there were a lot of facets of being a Jedi that created a lot of uh, noise within the Force, and certainly you had Palpatine and, uh, out there basically trying to disrupt the Jedi's uh, connection with the Force. And one of the huge ways that was done was through the creation of the Clone Wars, um, because when the Jedi were fighting, they were not truly in tune with the Force. And so it just feeds right back into that same conversation that you know when you are not in combat, when you are passive, when you're at peace... Uh, as Yoda told Luke, you know, you are then more fully in in connection with the light side of the Force, and that was evidence or events through uh, through Ahsoka within Star Wars Rebels for sure. One Dave Filoni always says, like everything you need to know about Star Wars is in the original trilogy. It's in George's movies, right. um, you know. And so people asking him about, you know, how did you decide to do this? How did you decide to go to this direction with the Force? Uh, he's, he says it's all right there. And moments like this are where you go, oh yeah, that that's true. It's all right there. 
Yeah. And uh, it, so to kind of tie it into what we're talking about with the Twilight of the Apprentice, there's really two things that happen in close succession uh, within Star Wars Rebels that that uh, are of note as far as Ahsoka is concerned. So first, the um, Rebellion sets up a base on the planet of Adalon, um, and there is a, a force entity on that planet called the Bendu, which Brandon uh, had mentioned earlier, who's a force sensitive being uh, living there. And Again, he is uh, the one that's going to uh, help Kanan and, and Ezra understand the Sith hologram that they've got. But Ahsoka uh, is meets with the Bendu, and as part of that conversation, uh, he mentions to her the upcoming confrontation with her former master. And Ahsoka is just, you know, convinced that she has to know the truth. She has to know if that is truly Anakin Skywalker uh, behind that that black mask. Um, so. Bendu tells her that everything is going to change as a result of that encounter. And, uh, you know, she still goes on with it. She still participates in this mission to Malachor, um, where, uh, among other things, they run into Darth Maul, who uh, we've mentioned on earlier episodes that he, you know, his story did not end as he tumbled down that uh, empty shaft after being cut in half by Obi-Wan at the end of The Phantom Menace. Um, And certainly people who are familiar with the films will know that from uh, seeing him appear within Solo. Um, But within that mission to Malachor, uh, with everything else going on, uh, Darth Vader makes an appearance and initially starts to battle Ezra, uh, kind of uh, puts him down fairly easily, and Ahsoka is forced to come to his rescue, and the two of them kind of uh, engage in a in a duel for the ages. So um, I will let you guys go ahead and weigh in on your thoughts on that particular battle. It's, I mean, I feel like we have to kind of have more of the Battle of Mandalore, you know, to, to really get, I think once we watch those side by side, we're going to see um, a lot more. But yeah, I mean, just the, the taunting that goes on between Maul and Ahsoka it just speaks of this rich history. It's, it's another one of those things like Ben Kenobi mentioning the Clone Wars in his hut. You're like, whoa, what the heck? And, and I mean, we knew about the Siege of Mandalore before, but that moment was really like, OK, now we need to know, you know, like, how does Maul know these things about Ahsoka? Because they never really faced off before. Uh, and, and they clearly have a history um, in that in that episode. And as far as like looking at star wars you know as a metaphor now you have for ezra who's being tempted both ways you have the the devil you have the literal literal manifestation of the dark side you're in the depths of hell you you know are are being tempted but then you also have this white light of ahsoka that we've talked about you know before um it it very much and and visually Dave Filoni, you know, did this intentionally. It very much harkens back to Mortis. Um, And even though it doesn't give us as much, you know, mythology and and weird force stuff, if you will, as Mortis, I think the two of them kind of work as sequels to each other to really, you know, nail down the difference between light and dark. For sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, it's it's such an impressive story. And the fact that you see Ezra, you know, meeting with Maul and being sort of led down this path in, in certain ways, you know, both literally and figuratively within this uh, until he they, they reach, gets back, meets up with everybody. And uh, yes, Ahsoka's there and Kanan's there. And uh, it really is it, it's really impressive storytelling in many regards. 
Yeah, and interestingly enough, I mean, this is all going on, this this battle with Ahsoka and Darth Vader uh, there in the depths of the temple at Malachor um, is is really in a lot of ways a, a battle for the soul of Ezra because he, as you mentioned, Brandon, he's being tempted uh, both by uh, Darth Maul and the dark side, as well as he's got, you know, Ahsoka and Kanan on the other side trying to keep him rooted in the light side. Uh, and that particular episode actually ends with him opening a Sith holocron, which is an indication that uh, that he has the potential to fall to the dark side as well. Uh, but within the actual battle with Ahsoka and Darth Vader, um, you know, there's so many things. And I, I certainly wanted to bring Brandon on because uh, Clashing Sabers logo is specific to this particular fight um, and appropriately so. Um you know, what What things about that battle between Anakin and Ahsoka really stood out for you and, and made you want to go that route? Oh, I mean, God, what parts of the battle didn't? Um, <laughs> it just, it's, it is Star Wars. It's got the it thing that you can't quite put your finger on. Uh, you know, the, the cracking open of the helmet, the mixing of James Earl Jones and Matt Lanter, uh, the the emotion that actually Eckstein put uh, puts into Ahsoka's voice there, but one thing I've kind of had on my mind the past couple days, um, cheap plug, but the most recent episode of Clashing Sabers, we talked about cave scenes, um, and, we, and we particularly talked about the movies, but this is one I wanted to talk about. We didn't get a chance to is Malachor because I think that what we see there really fits in with Plato's allegory of the cave. And for those of you who aren't aren't familiar with that, the, the synopsis of it is there's a person or people, they're chained in a cave to the point where they can't move. There's a fire to their rear. Um, and so all they can see is the shadows and those shadows become their reality. So if they are released from the chains, they now have to reconcile this new reality that they would see, you know, the, the true reality with what they understood before. And we see that happen to Ahsoka here. She has her back to, to Vader, um, and is looking at, you know, what she's actually looking the the opposite direction of the allegory. She's looking at, you know, the 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 future and has to turn around and still deal with those shadows and reconcile Anakin being Vader. Um, and and it's just, I mean, it's hard to put into words how emotional and moving it is. It's to me, it's better than some of the movies. And I love every single one of the movies. I, like, I absolutely do. And it could be just my connection to, to Ahsoka, so I'm a little biased there. But, like, the level of storytelling there is just absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, the hair stands up on my arms just just talking about this particular episode because it was that impactful. I mean, you've got, you've got Anakin, uh, as you mentioned. I mean, at one point, Ahsoka attacks Anakin uh, to kind of free up. Uh, Ezra and and uh, Kanan to escape. Uh, there's a giant blast door sliding shut. You know they're begging for her to come with them, and Ahsoka has attacked Anakin uh, slash Vader, cracked open his helmet, and there is just this moment where the truth comes. You know full force. Ahsoka realizes that is in fact Anakin. She hears his voice. You know he's calling out for her and and you almost it sounds like he's pleading with her to help him um just in the tone of his voice and she tells him i'm not going to leave you 
and he pauses and then the Sith in him rises again and he says, well, then you will die. Um, and despite that, you know, Ahsoka sticks to her word. She stays there. She's going to battle him. She's going to let the others escape um, and, you know, leave her fate to the will of the force, essentially. Uh, and it was a huge cliffhanger to leave that episode on. It took uh, two additional seasons for us to really have it resolved what had happened to Ahsoka uh, once that blast door had come all the way down and sealed her in with Vader. Such an impactful scene. I mean, it, it was actually a relatively short seen in the world of uh, lightsaber duels, but it was weighty. There was so much emotion. I mean, those two had such a close relationship uh, and then for her to split off and for him to fall to the dark side and she trying to reconcile whether or not he, that Darth Vader was her former master and then for it to come full circle, she finds it out and it's just incredible. And then not to mention what her sacrifice or presumed sacrifice was might have meant for Kanan uh, in later episodes within Rebels and uh, something that he does as well. Uh, just just incredible. Like, like you said, Brandon, incredible, incredible storytelling. When it's the definition of a hero, you know, to me, the most heroic thing that Luke does, which is why I, I never questioned that he would always come back to that hero, is when he jumps off of the terrace in Cloud City because he has everything he wants right in front of him which is his father. He's always wanted his father. That's his motivation. And he literally is willing to die rather than join the, the, the thing that he wanted because that thing is so evil. And you have the same thing here. Like Ahsoka is literally willing to give her life in the fight for Anakin's soul. Um, and I think uh, she helps to win that. For sure. And I mean, and, and I know that you've mentioned it before, but, you know, Luke throwing away his lightsaber uh, in Palpatine's throne room uh, on the second Death Star, as opposed to killing his father, you know, another perfect example of the fact that he he would rather die, uh, be it at the hand of Vader or at the hands of the Emperor, than, um, you know, strike down his own father and hate and fall to the dark side. And ultimately, that was I mean, you could argue Luke was the only one who could have ever redeemed Vader. Uh, simply because it was Vader seeing his son in pain at the hands of the Emperor uh, that caused him to to pick him up and throw him down that reactor shaft. Yeah, and so I, I've kind of teased this theory a little bit um, that if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and jump into because it kind of connects yeah. with what you're saying. Um, so we have Ahsoka, who, as we talked about before, is you know the the new daughter if you will um she is the light side of the force the manifestation of it and she is in this forbidden place this you know metaphor for hell if you will um and she goes to fight this battle this endless battle between light and dark and we see her crack open uh vader's Vader's helmet, you know, and again, it's that light versus dark that we have there. But it's the choice that Ahsoka makes to stay that I think is really important. Um, we, of course, see why she lived later on um, with the world between worlds and everything like that, which I'm sure we'll get to. But just in that moment, I think there's a, a huge thing that happened. And Ahsoka, in a way, is kind of a, a chosen one, I guess, if you will, for 
for the time being, a torchbearer for the light side of the force because her choice to stay there on Malachor, I think, is is Dave Filoni um, out of universe and in universe Ahsoka saying that she is going to be the light in the darkness for Anakin, that she's going to be the thing that keeps hope alive because like i mentioned with the three strikes earlier the difference with ahsoka is she doesn't die and so it's almost like anakin has two and a half strikes and we don't see her really re-emerge in time and space until after anakin's redemption um, when she passes that torch in a way to luke um to to have that redemption so Basically, what I come down to is, yes, Luke is absolutely the only one who could have saved Vader for many, many reasons, uh, chief among them being how much he reminded uh, Anakin of Padme. But I think that if Anakin had struck down Ahsoka or if Ahsoka had gone back out of that temple, which, I mean, we've, we've talked about her force powers before, she absolutely could have the redemption that we get in Return of the Jedi doesn't happen. It's a really great point, Brandon. I, I love that theory. I, I also, you know, the, the fact that she uh, cracks Vader's helmet, it's literally, a, you know, a crack in the armor of the dark side being encompassing Anakin Skywalker. It's that little glint of hope that there is that he could be redeemed in some way. Just that little peak of his eye there is just that little bit of softness there that he still has. Yes, he's still this evil shell going on but she showed just a little piece of anakin possibly could be redeemed at some point yeah and i mean the other thing too is that the importance of that showdown between anakin and ahsoka and the reason why he wanted so badly to kill her is she was a living reminder to him of the hero that he had been of all the of all the best parts of him uh and I think that ties into Brandon's theory as well uh, in regards to the fact that, you know, that part of him is just something that he could not snuff out via killing her, her or really any other way. Uh, and that is the part that Luke was able to appeal to and kind of draw him back to the light side. Well, and if we go to the, the Charles Sewell, uh, Darth Vader run, uh, comics wise, which if you haven't read those, they will blow your mind. So go read them. But one of the things that Vader does in there is he actually reconstructs his own armor uh, via the force. And so it's this this thing of like it literally consuming every bit of him. It is literally eating the dark side is almost eating him alive via the suit. Um, and, and like you said, to create that opening, to create that chink in the armor to to just kind of. For me, I've always thought of it as kind of keeping that flame alive. You know, um, it's it's the 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 fire in the lighthouse. You know, that kind of directs Luke, even though he never met Ahsoka. You know, that's just, I mean, that's how the Force works. And even go yeah. a little bit farther, if you go to Empire Strikes Back, when the the uh, the duel between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, you know, it's going through, and uh, Vader's having a pretty easy time of it. Yeah, you know, Luke's shown some skills, but obviously he's not had the training that he's necessary to take on someone as skilled as Darth Vader. But just that one when they're on the 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 railing there, and that one little strike onto his arm, you know, again, it's a little chink in that. Look, I, I, there is a little piece of him that's good. I can I can strike at that 
piece of him that's good. Just, uh, you know, just something to read into it. Oh, my God. Talk about blowing my mind. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a great, great catch there. Yeah. And I mean, it certainly got Vader's attention because it was uh, moments later that he was disarmed and actually disarmed. So. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, moving on. All right on. (laughs) Terrific. So, you know, as I mentioned, uh, the whole Twilight of the Apprentice arc was uh, left a huge cliffhanger uh, in terms of what the fate of Ahsoka was that we ended up having to wait uh, a good two seasons to get resolution to. And that resolution really came in the form of uh, the World Between Worlds episode when Ezra um, uh, visits the site on Lothal of an ancient Jedi temple. And uh, it ties into the whole Mortis trilogy because that Mortis trilogy is the key to actually unlocking the world between worlds. Uh, And within the world between worlds, it's kind of outside of space and time. So all things are possible. And Ezra actually makes his way to one of the portals within that particular world between worlds and is able to see uh, what was happening in that chamber after the door had closed uh, with the battle between Ahsoka and Vader. And uh, just at the moment when Vader was about to strike Ahsoka down, he pulls her out of that moment and into the world between worlds and uh, essentially saves her from death at the hands of Anakin. So again, feeding right back into what Brandon was talking about, um, you know, that that could have been uh, the end of any chance to redeem Vader had he succeeded in striking her down. And so, uh, you know, Ezra is, in fact, playing a huge role in saving a piece of Anakin's soul by pulling her out of that moment. Yeah, I mean, there there was a little bit of a, an, an uprising, if you will, with the world between worlds because people were talking about, uh, you know, oh, now time travel is a thing that could happen in Star Wars. And... We have to keep in mind that Ezra at that point is one of the few force users who's actually training in the galaxy. Um, and the force tends to choose its beacons, you know, um, and it does certainly with Ahsoka and it does with Ezra. And to see those two together who have both lost their masters and they are now in a sense gods um, at that moment being able to have show Ahsoka having the strength to teach Ezra the lesson that, you know, kind of the butterfly effect. Like if you change this one thing, it's going to change everything. Um, and you can't out act out of selfish desire or selfish, uh, you know, interest. And when you go to, you know, the end of season, uh, season four, you have, you know, Ezra in the same, position in the same stance with the same look on his face as Kanan when Kanan sacrificed himself and and to for all extents and purposes you know Ezra is sacrificing himself there and that's that lesson that Ahsoka taught him in the world between worlds um and just the the connection there between you know kind of this like lineage of force users that you get from you know obi-wan down to anakin ahsoka you know all the way till we get to to ben solo um it's just really interesting to see how intertwined it all is and we kind of have this legacy um that ahsoka is a part of and without her i mean 
a lot in the galaxy changes. It's weird to say that because, you know, we didn't have Ahsoka for a really long time and we still had, you know, all those other um, movies and, and arguably seven, eight and nine would have still happened if we didn't have the Clone Wars um, and, and the story would have still happened, but it just would have been a, a lot different. And in the context we have now, the the impact that characters like Ahsoka and Ezra have had are worthy of this grandiose moment like the world between worlds. I think it's one of the reasons why Rob and I bring it up so often that if you haven't uh, taken in some of these animated Star Wars series, why you should is because they they add so much more depth to this world. If you just go and study the films, the prequels, and go through the Clone Wars, and you know, okay, you know, I get some of this going on, but they, there's just so much more depth around Anakin, around Obi-Wan, and obviously these characters that if you've only seen the films, you you don't know at all. It just brings up so much more life to this Star Wars universe. Absolutely. I mean, when when Clone Wars, when the Tartakovsky series came out, I was adamantly against Star Wars animation uh, to the point where, like, I didn't even watch Clone Wars until about four years ago. Um, I just refused. I was like, no, Star Wars is movies. Sure, you can have some books in there to add a couple things, you know, but this is, it shouldn't be animation. And now, like, I mean, if you listen to anything I'm on, anytime I'm talking, like, animation is my Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it's just a, a testament to yeah, like you said, the power that these stories have and the impacts that they have, because I'm kind of stubborn and hard headed. So, you know, they changed my mind with with just, yeah, the depth that it adds to the galaxy. And you get kind of even though they're 22 minute episodes and then they're you know kind of bite sized for kids. When you look at it like we are across the whole spectrum of the story, whether you're looking at just a character like Ahsoka or, you know, we've brought in Luke a whole lot. There's connections with Leia there. I mean, I'm sure once we get episode nine, we're going to see connections with Ray. It's just, it, it's honestly mind blowing to fathom. Yeah. And I, I certainly waited a while to watch a lot of the animated series as well. Um, primarily cause I was still stinging a little bit from all of the, the star Wars content that I'd taken in over the years, uh, basically being passed off as legends and, uh, the thought of what it was going to take to kind of get, get reseeded in what was going to be the new canon but uh you know i don't have any regrets for having dug into it and it it has not only entertained but it has enhanced the entertainment level of all of the movies and uh you know the other items within canon that have gone before it as well I mean, just what they've done for Anakin's story arc alone, the fact that if you just watch him in the prequels, you don't really get him as much as the hero. I mean, you, you see some flashes of it, but mostly he just seems kind of whiny. But when you see him go through the Clone Wars and see how he was a hero, how he create, did such great acts uh, within the Republic, that you kind of get him more. It's just a much more well-rounded character. Yeah, and it adds weight to his fall. <laughs> It adds weight to his fall and it adds e- even more weight to his redemption um, because, I mean, you've 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 seen the chances that he had, which is which I mean, I'm a I'm a Kylo Ren redemption guy because to me that's Star Wars and the detractors against that say, you know, oh, well, he had his chances. He had his chances. He didn't take them. I mean, Anakin had his chances. He had his chances in the prequels, and even more so, he had his chances in the Clone Wars. He had his chances in Rebel, in Rebels. You know, um, with such people, people so important to his life, such as Ahsoka, such as uh, you know, 
well, I was going to say Ezra, but I guess Ezra's not that important to him. But really, Ahsoka, uh, you know, he has that opportunity to turn um, to to stay with her. He even has the the, the chance to walk away with her um, because in in season five because he relates to her by saying like I understand more than you know, and he chooses not to go on that path. Uh, again, yeah, just what you're saying. It adds so much to the storytelling. Absolutely. And, you know, the interesting thing is when you look at at the, the Jedi sacrifices um, within Rebels, specifically Ahsoka, Kanan, uh, it's not that they didn't have attachments. They, they had causes and they had people that they cared about and they loved. But the difference between them and an Anakin was that they could let go and he never learned to let go. And that is ultimately, uh, you know, what allowed Palpatine to to own his soul for all intents and purposes. And interestingly enough as well, you know, when you talk about redemption within Star Wars and how that is what Star Wars is all about, if Darth Vader can be redeemed, then Ben Solo can be redeemed. And and certainly within Legends, uh, you know, there were numerous stories of Jedi that fell to the dark side, did unspeakable speakable things and then we're able to come back and and then go on to be great jedi uh within the future so that has been a theme that has been uh fall you know that, that's been built out over and over and over again throughout star wars be it canon or legends uh and i have no doubt that it's possible here the question is are they going to go down that road yeah wait till december we shall we shall so um you know, really where we end up leaving Ahsoka at the end of Star Wars Rebels Season 4, uh, you know, uh, Ezra has has disappeared from the universe uh, as part of a sacrifice that he made to, to save his friends, the crew of the Ghost, and ultimately the Rebellion. Um, and no one knows where he's at. And uh, one of the members of the, the crew of the Ghost, um, the Mandalorian, Sabine Wren, uh, is going to go off and search for him and kind of bring him home. And the person that shows up to accompany her on her mission is Ahsoka Tano. Um, interestingly enough, you know, I know I know your feelings about Grey Jedi, Brandon, but there's definitely, it's hard to tell whether that's a really light gray or just a, a white uh, robe that she's wearing. Um but she she definitely seems at that particular moment to be completely comfortable within herself, uh, probably at the height of her powers. And I'm very much hoping that they uh, explore that particular story arc, not just so that we can get more Ahsoka, but, uh, you know, that concept that for the longest time we thought Luke was the only Jedi in the galaxy during the period of time of, of those original films. And uh, little did we know that at that particular point in time, you had Ahsoka out there hunting for Ezra Bridger and, and trying to bring him home. So there were other uh, force wielders for the light, um, certainly not Jedi at that particular point, but uh, I would love to find out what happens with their stories. Well, and you mentioned, you know, Ahsoka being comfortable in her own skin. I would say that's because she has, she's fully realized now, you know, she's, she's done her, I guess her great act, her second death star moment of, staying on Malachor and being the light and the darkness and, you know, fighting that battle outside of the physical realm. Um, and so she's kind of released once there is balance in the force, which would be after the second Death Star and the Battle of Endor. And I'm interested, where do you guys think we, because I have some ideas, where do you guys think we would get, uh, you know, more of the Sabine and uh, Ahsoka buddy cop kind of stuff? 
in terms of whether it's going to be an animated series or whether it's going to be some sort of live action film or just, yeah. I mean, whatever medium you think they might tell that story in. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would think it's going to be an animated series um, just because it gives them so much freedom to do so many things without having to worry about, you know, it being done through uh, practical effects or special effects or whatever the case may be. But there's certainly an argument to be made for, for it being some sort of a live action um, on Disney plus possibly. Yeah, I I think we will see it in some way, shape, or form. Dave Filoni doesn't leave something hanging like that without there being a purpose in mind at some point. Uh, obviously, uh, Star Wars Resistance is a little bit too far into the future to be placed within that. So I kind of feel that there's some going to be some other, once maybe they get more embraced into the Mandalorian, that maybe we find something or other animated that's in and around that same kind of general time period. Yeah, I think... My hope is an animated show or a live action show. I don't really have a care either way um, that we get on Disney Plus. That's like hour long episodes, you know, six to eight per season, because I think that that's the best format for storytelling on TV. Um, And I think it's possible that The Mandalorian, which we know Dave Filoni did the first two episodes, I believe, uh, directed those. It could be kind of the testing ground of him seeing if he wants to go um, that direction. And if not, I would say a comic series. I could mm-hmm. definitely see Dave because, you know, we know he loves to draw, you know, that that's what got him into the business and everything. Completely doing writing, scripting, you know, storyboarding, drawing, doing an entire comic series on his own um, for you know, maybe the the 25th anniversary of uh, the Clone Wars or, or uh, you know, 15th anniversary of um, Rebels or something like that. And, and I mean, I know we don't like to look that far in the future because it's it's kind of scary, but maybe as a last, you know, hoorah as he, he walks out the door and retires. I just think the only thing that would be risky about that is he'd have all the Ahsoka fans up in arms because she is so intimately tied to Ashley Eckstein and her voice. So um, we shall see if he's willing to take that risk. Yeah, I, I mean, if it's if it's done in and like on the screen, uh, if, if it's not Ashley, we riot. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because because, again, it's not just a voice. She adds so much to that character, even, you know, besides the fact that she's like the best human being walking the earth right now. Uh, just what she did for the character is amazing. And she had to go through her own growth within this character because you, you remember at the beginning when this character first came out, it was she was kind of hated. There were a lot of people that weren't on board the ah- Ahsoka Tano bandwagon it took a while and ashley had to get through some of this trolling that was going on fight through it develop herself within this character as well as the character uh it, it, so it, it's really a great story and especially if you think about the fact that when she got casted to when the movie was released was two years when she was one of maybe 50, 100 people who knew that you were about to have your first female Jedi lead in Star Wars, you know, groundbreaking stuff. And, and you've got to imagine they're all, especially Ashley, thinking this is going to be great. I can't wait for people to think this or to see this and then to have them think that and and just think about how low that must have taken her to not only 
as you know, outside of, of the story, be able to continue on and, and care for the fans um, and create things like her universe, but to hold true to her character, to not course correct and try to change who Ahsoka was, but to trust, you know, the people that she's working with and the character to evolve as as we see her. And I mean, it's it's obviously gone farther than any of us could have imagined for sure and the interesting thing about that character and you know certainly the the people that did not care for her early on um didn't like the immaturity didn't like the snippiness didn't like the rebellious nature of her character but it it just goes to show you that even at that point you know yoda and the way that his mind worked in assigning her as a padawan to anakin it was the perfect person for him to have to deal with. He was trying to rein in her, uh, you know, her extreme behaviors, which was something that he dealt with on, on his own. Uh, and so he, you know, in a lot of ways, and, and it shows up throughout the clone wars where he's like, do what I say, not as I do. Um, but you know, it, it was, it was intended as much to kind of curtail his behavior as it was hers. Absolutely. And I mean, you think that, you know, Yoda, who is a great Jedi master, but is is very, very flawed during the prequel era, um, despite his greatness, he he does this thing to an extent to save Anakin from himself, you know, And, and I think we've all kind of come to a consensus here that Ahsoka does play a role minor major you know whatever she does play some role in anakin's redemption um and just the the connection there between that's how her story starts is to save anakin and that's how her story ends is to save anakin but the in-between is just this this great character who stands on her own and who is not just there to serve anakin's story and to do that across different stories, different mediums, different, you know, everything is just, it's, again, it's mind blowing to me um, because I can, you know, barely figure out how to put a podcast together and they're doing this whole (laughs) galaxy. It's crazy. Oh, I mean, you also, you look at so many uh, side characters, you know, in many stories, but including the Star Wars universe and you think of them and you, you, you're like, okay, how much do I know about this Keller character? Have they developed their storyline? I think we know so much about Ahsoka and what she's gone through and what her storyline is that now you could see her carrying her own series. I think we'd all be on board for that because she is so well defined and such a, a fantastic character. And you just don't see that from people that are kind of put in as a sidekick to begin with. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, look at, like, for example, R2. Like, you have a whole R2 builders, um, you know, organization, but at least as uh, from an outsider, as far as my understanding of that goes, it's more about building your own version of R2. You know, it's more about the process of building the community of it, um, you know, going out in the community and serving. But if you're just looking at a character that people, a side character that people rally around, a couple years after Rebels has ended, you have Ahsoka Lives meetings going on at Celebration. Um, you know, you don't you don't see Jabba Lives. <laughs> you know, you don't see uh, things like that. So yeah, the the impact on the fandom, uh, like I would say honestly. To, to some point, like one, it definitely brought in more female fans. I don't think that we can deny that at all, which is amazing. But just in general, I think it ramped up the quote unquote hardcore fans a lot more because 
she was kind of like, yes, this is ours to some extent, you know, like the, the general audience gets Luke, the general audience gets Leia. And yes, we love them. Absolutely. Uh, if, if you listen to my shows, you know, I love Leia, but Ahsoka's kind of ours. She's the one for the people who do, you know, two hour podcasts on a 30 minute episode. You know what I mean? She's, and I think that that is, is something super, super cool to have. You mean two hour podcast on a 30 minute episode and you feel like you're leaving a ton of stuff on the table? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know what that's like, but I hear it happens. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. Well, I think, you know, again, the the thing that is undeniable here is that Ahsoka, for those who have, have taken the time to invest uh, themselves into those animated series, Ahsoka is certainly one of the shining jewels uh, that has come out of those. And as Tom mentioned, we say this all the time, but if you have not watched them, uh, even with the spoilers that we've given on this particular podcast, there is still so much more to uncover about her and her character. And it's one thing to hear about it. It's another thing to actually see it in front of you. So uh, definitely recommend if you haven't watched The Clone Wars, if you haven't watched Star Wars Rebels, go out, check those out. Read the book Ahsoka. Um, When Clone Wars uh, comes out with their new season after Disney Plus goes live, uh, that is going to flesh out a lot of that information that we were talking about regarding the siege of mandalore which is going to be hugely important and uh i think you'll start to see why why we're all so passionate about this character all right so um i want to thank tom and brandon for coming on this week um i'm going to give you guys both the chance to uh tell the listeners how they can find you guys and your individual podcasts uh brandon i'll go ahead and start with you first yeah, so uh, you can find us over at ClashingSabers.net. Um, that's kind of the the nexus um, for everything we do. Um, you can find links to all of our podcasts over there. Um, and we do kind of a kind of like we did today with Ahsoka, in depth analysis of the story. Uh, we're not really a news show um, or a news uh, site, so you can kind of get in written written form. Or if you want to check out our podcast, just put in uh, Clashing Sabers, and you'll find us. You get four shows on the feed for the price of one, uh, which is is a lot of fun. And um, other than that, you know. Twitter at Clashing Savers. We have a, a super fun Facebook group that you guys are a part of um, where people are sharing what they're creating. So if you have some cool Star Wars stuff that you are making, whether it's it's painting or a podcast or uh, you just have a, a theory you want to talk with um, some some other Star Wars fans and avoid the the negativity that is out there nowadays, come join us over uh, on Facebook. Yeah, and I can definitely say check out the podcast. Um, they had done an episode on Ahsoka, uh, and it was incredible. Um, definitely gives you all the feel. So go check them out. Uh, and one of the things I think that that kind of brought Brandon and I together in the first place was out on Twitter. Um, definitely, there's a community of Star Wars podcasters and fans. Um, that are really focused on positivity. And and that was also one of the things that connected Tom and I when we uh, were getting ready to start this particular podcast. Uh, We just kind of feel like, you know, there's enough negativity out there and it's the easiest thing in the world to do to tear stuff down. Uh, But to actually go out there and be positive and and find the the bright points and things and to build something uh, is far harder, but far more, far more worthwhile. uh, And that's where we want to expend our energies. So 
Uh, Tom, would you like to go ahead and give your information on how folks can find you at the Hyperion Adventures podcast? Absolutely. Thank you, Rob. Yes, I'm all about team positivity, so I'm so glad to hear that is spreading out there, or at least I hope it is. Uh, We are the Hyperion Adventures podcast. You can find us mostly, the best place to find us is on our website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. We talk Star Wars, yes, but we also talk a lot about Disney, tips for going into the parks, uh, tips for vacations. We also talk Marvel. We just talk, we, 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 kind of just try to encompass much of the world that uh, Lucasfilm, Marvel, Disney uh, has to offer. And you can find us also on social media. We are out there and we have a great time on social media with Rob and a lot of other podcasts and bloggers. We're at Hyperion Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Terrific. Thank you guys both for taking time out of your day to come on and talk some Ahsoka. Uh, I know that I had a great time. Hopefully you both had a good time as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, getting together with you guys to do some other things in the future. With that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you guys all for listening and may the force be with you. 